0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the No Nonsense DSO podcast. My name is Jay Trail and as always I'm here with my mother Kara Trail. Hello. And today we have a special guest, Kevin Pope. Um, so what we're going to be talking about today as last time you guys know we talked about prospecting and really getting to that first prospect that you really like. So now with Kevin's help today because this is kind of his expertise area is that we're going to talk about going from that first prospect, taking a look at their financials and really going up all the way to a pre-closing state. Um, and just really how you get there. What to look for, what to do, and just how it gets done and who's doing all this work. So I'll let Kevin give his background a little bit um, and then we'll just get right into it.
1: Thanks Jay, thanks Kara for having me. So I've um, been in the current role, been with, with Henry C. since it started. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work with Kara and Andy before we were a company. Yes. So um, boy, if we had a clue then how much we didn't know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that we, we would have done we were, this.
2: We thought we were busy. We thought,
1: we, yeah, we, we, thought we knew what was ahead of us. So. Ooh. Um, grew up uh, through college in the hospitality business. Continued to do that after college. So fortunate enough to run some, you know, pretty significant restaurants. There was really what I learned was operations management, but also how to redirect, read and write p and L, um, which really is su- not su- or surprising when you start dealing with a lot of these dentists. They can't spell P and L, so it's a really <laughs> it's a skill set that's much needed. So um, from there, I went into the traditional uh, corporate world. Um, was Fortunate enough to work in multi-site operations, both in-house and outsourced operations, some fairly large organizations. Uh, you know, managed some groups as large as 2,000 FTE, both onshore and offshore, providing customer support. Um, what was really great about my background, really fortunate. You know, the in-house company, you see how that company's run, but from an outsourced perspective with a multiple clients, you get to see how a lot of companies run. Everything from wireless to banking to insurance to retail. Exposed to a lot of things, a lot of things that worked really well, and a lot of things that really didn't work well. So learned a lot of best practices, um, and then really fortunate as well. I talked about the, the P and L, but learned a lot of financial management practices, which has let me um, both be the worker. So from the bookkeeping, accounting perspective, as we were, as we were growing onto the financial forecasting and um, that part of the operation, and then also spent about four years writing contracts on a pretty large scale. So that is also been uh, something I've been able to uh, take advantage of and really reduce our cost and make it a lot easier for us to do business as we acquire some of these groups.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's get right into it. So the first question I have for you is that I think it was the last thing I said on the last podcast was, what financials should you be asking for from these doctors once you find um, that they are, you know, an assumable partner as a person. Um, sure. Somebody that you can
1: sure. get along with. You know, so we've had the chicken dinners. We've said, hey, let's have a conversation. We think this makes sense. We signed the NDA. It typically starts with tax returns. I don't like to look at tax returns because you typically, you're normally going to aggregate costs at such a high level. You can't get a really good feel for what's in there and what's not. And what you're looking for is noise in the PL. and um, So ideally, what we do is we want to get PLs. We typically focus on a three-year run rate. That's kind of the standard um, when we're pricing the practice. We look at revenue over the prior, uh, prior three years. Um, so you take, really, the, P, the the tax returns are just to validate the P&L, make sure your top line and bottom line sort of match. Um, but what you're looking for, the solo practitioner dentist office is run very differently from a structure than the group is. There's a lot of personal costs that are put there. You see doctors will put... Um, there are automobiles in their, in their PC. They will put um, a family member on payroll to cover their retirement. They will run all number of expenses through their uh, personal corporation. Um, we're going to strip those out because obviously that's not going to continue once we, once we buy the practice. So try to get an idea for what the real profitability, what the real numbers look like. Um, what I'm doing, a um, couple things that I'm looking for when I review the PLs one is consistency. I want to see, obviously it's been interesting with the COVID years, there's some variability in there for a good reason, but is the um, are the top line revenues consistent year over year? Are we seeing a consistent increase? Are we seeing a cons- consistent decrease? What does that split look like when you can get it between hygiene and doctor? And that's really important. Um, not a lot of practices have that. It's not at all uncommon to not be able to pull out that level of information. And we can talk about that a little later while we care about one versus the other. Um, I'm looking for, uh, again, once we strip out the noise the things that we know aren't included, what other things are what I call good guys for us? Things that that doctor is currently paying that we're either not gonna pay or we're gonna pay at a much lower rate. Mm-hmm. So things that would be favorable for us couple that you know Kara, you and I've seen some of these we look at some of these contracts and we see individual doctors spending more on their website than we spend as a 12 office company yeah. so um, there's some things out there some of the marketing things um, I won't name the vendor but it's the legacy that was the yellow pages um, they're very good at convincing doctors how valuable the practice are or how valuable their, their product is it's as valuable as the yellow pages it's not yeah. they lock into these multi-year contracts um, Kara and I saw one practice that we um, that joined our group. They had a monthly contract for waste disposable hazardous waste disposal, which is required. I always
2: forgot. About they that. were spending
1: twenty four hundred dollars a year for something we spend one hundred and forty dollars a year for. They had locked it. It was just a bad contract. So, that's some of the high level insight that we are able to get. So, when I see that, I go, Well, this practice is $2,000 a year more profitable than it would be otherwise. So, those are things I take into account when trying to determine the value of the practice. The other thing we spend a lot of time talking about fee schedules and participating insurers. So, you still see some of the older practices that are primarily fee for service. That's pretty rare these days. Um, but, you know, if, they're typically lower volume, um, so for us to really take the practice and put our model where we've got two doctors, we've got three or four hygienists in a practice, um, we're going to participate with insurance, so we have to look at that mix. What's going to happen is we're going to get fewer dollars per patient per procedure, but we're going to bring in a lot more volume. Volume covers all your cents. The more top line you have coming, it makes such a big difference with your fixed cost in terms of profitability and the flow through. And then the fee schedules as well. Um, We have been able to negotiate because of our size uh, some better fee schedules to some of the insurers. Not great, um, but definitely better than a single practice can. For example, the largest insurer in this area, you can't even get the fee schedule that we have today. It's no longer available to new practices. So those are things they can get on our fee schedule. So that's an immediate lift from a revenue perspective. So we were able to factor all of those elements in. Um, We also, it's not uncommon to have a practice that has not changed their fees. Five eight years, uh, yeah. So it's not uncommon at all um, to not have those uh, financial practices. Costs go up. Nobody likes to charge more, but we need to be able to pay our folks. We need to be able to run the business profitably. So um, those are some of the really big ones um, that we're looking for.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I mean, all that information. A lot of people that just have never even looked. Um, at a PL if they're trying to get in the, into this, like uh, the investor that I'm working with in South Carolina, they might not know about this type of stuff at all. So it's great to have people that know this. So the big question is, how are you pricing your practices when you put them out? Um, I, from, it just usually sometimes depends on location and various other things like that, but location is one of the main ones. Um, in South Carolina, I've been seeing 65% of collections to 70% in collections. And in different places, it just, just depends on how it does. So how are you guys doing it here in Roanoke or South West Virginia?
1: You know, again, we talked about 60 to 70% is the range. Yeah. 60 to 70% of what? Well, it's the average revenue over the last three years. And you see a lot of dynamics to that. Again, when you start diving into P&L... Um, how much room is there? And, and a lot again, it goes back to what you. I know we talked about in the last question, but right. from P and perspective, a lot of doctors are almost they're almost paycheck to paycheck. Their money comes in, money goes out. However much is left is their profit. They're not managing it, so we're able to look at that and manage those numbers. Um, so it goes into how desirable is the practice. Is it sustainable? Is the doctor staying? Those are all things that you have to consider. If the doctor is staying, um, they're gonna have an expectation in terms of what they're gonna be paid. They're gonna probably stay as a partner, so they're going get a higher percentage of collections. Um, but does, you know if I pay 65% for this practice, I know what my debt service is gonna be. Is this practice gonna throw off enough revenue and th- enough management fee to justify and support it? That's really what it comes back to. So there are cases where maybe your rent for whatever reason may not, the revenue is not as high as it needs to be, but the rent's an expensive building. It's expensive to move. Um, You also have to remember in a lot of cases, dentists own their own buildings. So dentists are going to get through this sale. They're going to have multiple revenue streams. If they stay as a partner, they're an employee, so they're getting paid. Um, They often own the building, so they're getting rent and they also get the payoff from the practice sale. You need to consider all of those factors in terms of what that doctor is going to receive Um, you're also able to be a little more aggressive sometimes if you are buying the building you can get better financing terms because you can roll up some of the cost better terms with the real estate banks are a little more comfortable lending on real estate than on the practices so all of those things if you're able to buy the real estate well now we're getting that income stream we're getting the rent so it's cost neutral we're getting the bill we're getting the rent basically covers the mortgage and we're coming out ahead. So all of those things, but 60 to 70% is pretty much the standard.
0: Okay, yeah, just want to make sure that that's what you were saying too, as well as me. Um, So let's get into the next question here. Um, So I have on here uh, the three to five main things. Uh, When you're first evaluating a deal to purchase a practice, we kind of already went over that. Um, But what are some deal breakers and deal makers for you um, that you would say in a deal?
1: Yeah, and real quick, so you know, again, back to the financials. I think what's really important um, is know your skill set. Yeah. Um, we're really good at it. I've been fortunate, I've, I've looked at a lot of p and so I know what I'm looking for. So first of all, often when you're buying a practice, they don't have good financials a lot of times. They have their tax returns and that's about it. Um, they've got an accountant that, or a bookkeeper that might come in once a week, twice a month, something like that. So you don't have good information. So really knowing what you need to look for is important. Um, and then so we talked about a lot about what I'm looking for, but the biggest thing is consistency and trends. Um, you're looking for spikes, you're looking for significant drops. Can you explain them and are they okay? Um, from a deal breaker standpoint, again, it just comes down to the numbers. Okay. Is it justified? You get, um, you know, there's practices we'll talk to that are completely unrealistic about what their uh, practice is worth. Great example, uh, doctors who sell their practice much later in their career. So they're 65, they're working two and a half days a week. They're not accepting new patients and, we, you know, let's do... $550 a year, and they say, well, this is what it's worth. Well, it used to do a million dollars a year. Well, I get you, but that was four years ago, or five years ago, yeah. it used to. So. Um, doctors inflating the value in their mind of what it's really worth because of what it used to or what it could do well yeah it could be a million dollar practice but that's going to take our infrastructure that's going to take our investment we're going to have to bring on staff we're going to have to take that risk so we're going to reap the benefits of that so that's a big one i think doctors having an unrealistic expectation of um of what the practice is really worth.
0: and just to jump in sorry to cut you off kevin yeah. but for doctors if you're on those last three to four years stretch of your career and you're doing the best numbers that you have in those ending years, you need to sell now. You don't need to wait three or four more years where you're not seeing as many patients or you only want to go down to three days a week and you're not doing the revenue that you used to. You're just not gonna get it out. Nobody is gonna pay that to you anymore. So if you're thinking to get out in three to four years, look and see if you really can hold the numbers up that you're doing right now to get that purchase price that you really want when you're done. Because for most of these doctors, that is their retirement plan, to sell their practice, and to go off into the sunset. And that may just not be you may not be able to do that in the long run. Well
1: room. you're not gonna maximize your value. So yeah. but I think as the as the dental environment's changing now, you see more and more groups. It's no longer a case of Jay Trail's a dentist, he retires and he sells it to Kevin yeah. Pope, who's now a dentist just graduating. That's not the way it works. So you know then that's the beauty, of course I'm I'm biased, I think our model really works, but that's the beauty of doctors can sell it when it's at peak value, they can stay in all our doctors, they stay as partners, and if they want to work two days a week, great. We can support that. They're getting paid based on collections. We bring in an associate, they can mentor, all of those things, but but Jane really nailed it. You want to get the value while it's still there. Once you're working two and a half days a week and you're not accepting new patients, and then it gets down to a point, somebody looks at it and goes, I'm not really buying anything a little bit of patient flow, some patient records, there's no value there at all. And in many cases, you've delayed upgrades on your equipment, updating, um, so the technology is old. It's just not there. It's not gonna be
0: worth it, so. Absolutely. something to think about doctors if you are listening to this. Um, Okay, so we have gone over the financials. Now we are ready to make a deal. So what is the next step? I'm assuming an LOI, a letter of intent, if you're not familiar with an LOI.
1: Yeah. So it is. So we've had we've had our chicken dinners. We've done some high level financial reviews. Um, it's it's pretty predictable. We have a pretty good feel going into it. If it's a practice you want to be a part of or not. Um, and really, the revenue, the top line revenue. We know what the cost structure is. So if the top line revenue is there, we know whether or not we can be profitable. And we know if the top line revenue is not there, we have a good feel for what's going to take to get it where we need it to. So. Um, it, even without all the details and all the due diligence, we can put together a pretty um, pretty solid LOI. Um, couple things, you know, high level. We're not going to talk about financing this deal. We're talking numbers. How much am I going to pay you for it um, and what that looks like? But the couple things you want to make sure you include in there, a due diligence period. We've got to agree we're going to have close by X date. But during that, we need an exclusivity period. I don't, if we're doing business, we're going through this, I don't need you dating a bunch of other people while we're dating. Yeah. I need you to be focused on me. We need to be in a healthy, monogamous relationship while we're going through this process. Speed
0: dating, going back to that. The speed there, dating. No,
1: so anyway. Um, but that's really what it is. I think it's really easy in the LOI to get super, super caught up in all the all the minutia. Um, you know, Jay, one of your podcasts, you spend a lot of time talking about some of the financing options. And I think um, you look back at whether it's the seller carrying the note, the traditional bank financing. Is it a blend of the two, which we see more and more of? We don't need to worry about that. What is the price and by what time are we going to have this deal done? And that's really it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I would agree with you. So for an attorney's and count uh, accountants aspect, how involved do you think they should be in these deals? I think I'm- When they- When should they start, start being involved? Because as we know, everybody in this room, attorneys, And accountants can hold up deals, which is not a bad thing necessarily just because they're looking out for their clients. Um, But from your perspective on the other side, how involved do you think they should be?
1: So to piggyback or to jump on a point you just made, attorneys and accountants job is to tell you everything wrong with the deal and all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. And they often, the only way they can show value, um, you do see this in the legal community. Not all attorneys are this way. Our attorney is phenomenal, um, kind of deciding which issues he's going to... Negotiate which ones he's going to be okay with, but it's like, well, if I didn't redline that document, then I haven't really earned anything. Well, maybe you just read a really good document and it doesn't need a lot of edits. So that can really trip things up. And again, an attorney or an accountant a lot of times can tell you all the reasons you shouldn't do it, not why you should. So you can get lost in that. Um, In terms of how involved they should be, I think there's a couple ways. Early on, your first practice, probably more involved rather than less. Um, then you become, and really more the attorney, less the accountant. Um, in my experience, accountants spend a lot of time talking, really kind of looking in the rearview mirror, talking about how things were. They're not doing a lot of forward planning, um, but they can tell you the tax consequence. Um, the good news is you get so many tax levers when you're buying an office, you're buying depreciation, um, you're financing things. so You've got a lot of different levers to pull to manage your EBITDA numbers, to manage what your year-end profit looks like. Um, for the attorney finding the right partner, we did early on. So we have a lot of those boilerplate templates that we're able to use that are pretty standard. Um, the templates that are the documents that we're using today for the purchase of the con- of the purchase of a practice, they've been certainly updated. Structurally, they're fairly similar. We've identified things that need to change in those, and those update a little bit with every deal. So um, it's a long way, of not, it's not really an answer. Um, early on, a little more, but I think, um, and Jay, you and I have had this conversation. Yeah finding that right attorney partner and let's get those get those agreements in front of them before you do your first deal get some agreement make sure they understand the structure and what you're trying to achieve eliminates things and then they can have that conversation with you or with with the um, with the other attorney you do want to encourage sellers as crazy as it sounds sometimes you have to encourage them to get an attorney they should have an attorney because especially if that person is joining you as a partner the last thing you need is two years down the road they're going I was I don't like the deal because they didn't get an attorney, so we always encourage the sellers to get an attorney. Um, where possible, we're able to eliminate a lot of back and forth through phone calls. Lawyers love to email back and forth, and our attorney is really good about just setting up a call, and you can hash through a lot of issues. Yeah. So, actually, um, not a super quantifiable answer. I, I'm able to handle, and I've got a background in procurement, which really helps. But I'm able to handle a lot of the negotiations up front. Um, there are certain items you get into warranties, indemnities, and some of those. I'm not having that conversation. That's for our attorney's handle, So, um,
2: but I do like the idea of you know building the CSO is to definitely look at the documents before you have your first round. Hundred percent, absolutely. That is a key point, and not just flying by the seat. Attorney needs
0: to be on board with you because they're going to be a part of your team in the beginning. Yep. And the
1: last thing you need is going to the closing table and your attorney's (laughs) arguing (laughs) with your deal. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait,
0: you're on my side. (laughs) You need to have your attorney on board before you're going out there and trying to fight,
2: get I your first it deal. To
1: articulate yeah. what it is that we're trying to do and why it's set up the way it's set up. Yeah. So we've been really fortunate in that regard to have great partners. Yeah. Okay, so
0: we've got the LOI done. Kind of gone through good. it. Um, each um, first party assigned it. We're good from there. Um, so really, that's what we wanted to get to today. But some one of the last questions I did when I ask you, Kevin, was: What are the main challenges that you're facing? um just in an everyday central service standpoint that you're really in is it payroll um, AR dentist staying just from trying to bring them on.
1: And so and maybe look, before we do that do we step back so you know one of the questions you and I talked about Jay was you know who's going to do all this work? So mm-hmm. We talk about the That's a good point. So, I glad you brought so, that up. So typical I'm the guy doing the work. You know, Jay forgot all about it. <laughs> So let's kind of take back, really, so, so Jay's thrown out the term central services a couple times, what yep. is that? And yep. We laugh about what my title is. Um, I'm responsible for everything that's non-clinical um, in the in the organization. Now, in terms of the chicken dinners and the prospecting, uh, Dr. Henritzi and, and our partner Scott Cruz do the majority of that. But they they come to high-level terms and they hand it off to me, so I do that. But when you talk about central services, um, and I think what differentiates our group sets us aside from a lot of groups that are out there, and certainly set us aside or set us apart from a single dentist offices, we've got a full team that handle uh, primarily all aspects of finance. So from a finance perspective, all the reporting, we've got an AP um, uh, representative or one of the folks who handles all our AP, all our payables. We have two other folks who handle all of our receivables. Got to get the money in. We've got somebody else that handles HR and payroll. We've got somebody that handles marketing. Then we've got an external partner that handles IT. So all of those folks set up under my team. And what's great about it, what's hard about it up front you can't afford a team of six people when you've got one office doing $700,000 a year. Do the math, it doesn't work. Um, what we were able to do is we had a couple of people, um, me, was able to do most of that. And I think from a from a shared services standpoint, I handled most of that up through five offices. Um, so I was able to do a lot of that. Carrie you know, and I worked together, she handled the operations side of it and I handled the shared service or the back office uh, portion of it. Um, my skill set's a little atypical um, and we were able to make it work um, up, up to that point. So if you can find that person, great. I've been here since day one. It gives me great perspective on the organization and operation. It gives me that history. Um, it's. A little tough to find somebody with with a background that can make it work. Um, so then what you got to do is well I, I need shared I need shared FTE or I need shared employees. I need a I need 20% of a, an AR person and 10% of an HR person and all those. So you could find a separate outsource company and that's something that Kara and I are working on together providing this service to other companies, to other dental groups. When you take the nature of the majority of the work Receivables, we leverage a lockbox through our bank. Um, So all the insurance checks are mailed directly there. We don't have to physically process those. So that's been outsourced. Somebody's able to key all that into the system because we we use a cloud-based CRM with Denicon, which is a great fit for us. Um, So what we're able to do now, as we scale, I don't have to add, we don't have to add any new employees. We could roughly 2X our um, revenue supported, and maybe add one more employee but we really don't have to add anybody because of the infrastructure that we have yeah which has
2: been which has been great i mean it's there's a lot of practices that are building the so's that just don't have that don't have that team to start in the beginning the dentists are trying to do everything and they can't do it all by themselves so that's that's the part where we've just been really blessed a little blessed yeah it really
0: doesn't work um i've talked to multiple doctors really um in north carolina and in some more southern states about they're trying to start a dso but they just don't know who's going to do all this work um and that's one of the main questions when i'm getting out there and talking to these doctors, like who was doing all this work yep. um that's why we have a great team here um, with kevin and Kara and the people that are working underneath them that have just seen it and done a lot of it if not all of it at this point with 12 offices and can continue to grow and help as many people as they possibly can um, with hiring people and doing whatever they need to do to build an infrastructure.
1: Yeah. And if you look at it, I think with those DSOs that struggle, where they grow from, maybe they get to three, five offices, yeah. um, and the dentist is literally doing everything. I mean, Dr. Henritzi, so when we grew, and he wasn't doing any of this, he was still clinically practicing three and a half to four days a week. At night, he's out having chicken dinners, he's out prospecting, he's building relationships, he's developing doctors. To do all of that, and on top of it, You know, the mind-numbing work, which is payroll, which is accounts payable, which is receivables. It's just not doable. It's absolutely not sustainable. So I think that's where we set ourselves up for success and we're scalable. Um, And that's really made a a big difference for us. Um, So again, it's finding that partner. We do use a good mix of vendors. We've got an outsourced vendor for our uh, HRIS and our payroll platform. Huge time savings on that. Um, Using the lockbox for our receivables is a big deal. Having Denicon, having that... Um, cloud-based CRM that, every, that our employees can dial into, made a big difference, and then we you know, moved to, I call it adult accounting software this year, uh, we were Quick, QuickBooks was a wonderful platform for us. Um, QuickBooks will get you to 15 or 20 million, it won't get you past that. So we moved to uh, Sage, an intact product, uh, and it's a pretty significant difference in terms of the complexity they can handle. So then back to the question that led to this is, you know, what are the main challenges that we faced when we talk about bringing these on? So the first one, and again, it's about that, back to that chicken dinner, it's about culture. The culture's got to be right. The management philosophy has got to be right. The approach to the business, the approach to patient care, it's never going to be 100% aligned. We're all different and that's fine. But overall, it's got to be fairly close. It's got to be
2: the same vision. Everybody has to be working towards the same The same goal yeah. of what we're trying to do which, which is in dentistry is mostly patient care but culture is the biggest part of that whole yeah. thing and you have to have you know build a dental group you have to have that vision you have to be able to sell your vision when there is no vision like there is no thing at all that absolutely yeah. at this point, anything. you have to be able yeah. to sell what you are going to do. And Andy and, 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 and Dr. Dr. he's just gifted did, at that. Yeah. He's just gifted He speaks
1: the out. language, he speak. he knows what he knows what dentists hate about their jobs. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that we found interestingly enough is it there's a certain period in a dentist's career, their life cycle, they're much more receptive. The younger dentist that's just they can do it all, they want to do it all, they're excited. The older dentist, they just want to come in and take care of their patients and go home. Uh, Karen and I often talk one of the doctors that joined our group, we she and I struggled because we didn't feel like we supported him as well as we should have because his his geography was a little different. Um, And he called me up one day and just thanked me because he got his Fridays back because he would practice clinically Mondays through Thursdays and Fridays he'd come in and do payroll and pay the bills and all that. And we don't care. I don't think about it. That's what we do. And that's what we did. So we handled that. So, um, so the culture fits got to be good. They've got to buy into the vision. They've got to have this Um, The way you treat employees has got to be closely aligned as well. The fact that we're really big on employee benefits, treating our folks well. The way we're going to be successful is if our employees are here for a very long time. Um, Turnover is horribly expensive. We do not want
2: them leave. We need them to stay. We do not want to train them again.
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So um, that's a big one. Some of the others are a little more nuanced. Um, Some of the things you have to take into account... Um, you know, when you're coming in and Kara's developed a really phenomenal checklist that we send out, but understanding what their vendors look like, what's their equipment look like. Understand we've had I think only one office was still using film that we that joined us. Yes, yes. Thank and goodness so.
2: it's only been one <laughs> But you know, those are some of the things that you look at too on your due diligence as well as you know, if the equipment is older, you know how much it's gonna cost to get it up to snuff. And luckily we've been, you know, really lucky in that matter. But yeah, yeah. Still so we have an office right now that doesn't have payments. So um, you know, so those are the type of things you know that will will get them going,
1: but at least we know in advance. Yeah, and so it's we you know we kind of have our technology platform, so we know what it's going to take, lift and shift, and replicate that in the new offices. But we've got to look at those things, and again, they're different budgets. The management fee owns their management company owns the assets, so they're the ones that are doing that spend. So do they have the line of credit or the access to capital available? It's a big deal. And we've been very fortunate; we've got a great bank partner that's allowed us to do that and go in and make those purchases Um, because not every purchase has a direct return. Sometimes the return is better patient experience, it's a better doctor experience. But that's okay. We have to make that investment. It lets us recruit better, all those. So, understanding what is there, what's not there, is a really big deal. Um, Some offices we've had, I guess not too many from a remodel perspective, they've all been pretty functionally solid. Pretty good going in. Dental equipment's just really expensive. It's just really expensive. So, knowing that. um, And then some of the nuances you get into, you don't always think about, but payroll cycles aren't aligned. That's
2: a a huge deal to me.
1: So, if employees are used to getting paid on Thursday for that week, you have to take that into account. And there's, we've got a couple of different ways that we can handle that, and we have handled it and been successful. But no, you can't go and look at employees and go, you know what? I know you got paid last week, and you're used to getting paid every week. Now you're going to get paid in three weeks. You can't ask an employee to do that. You're going to lose them. They cannot do that. So things along those lines. Understanding what benefits, you know, we have a really robust benefits package today, but we didn't start with that. When we first started as one office, we had an IRA. We didn't. We offered health insurance stipends. We didn't have health insurance. Well, we bought an office that had a 401k plan. So what we did is we adopted that. We couldn't go backwards for those employees. We had to go forward. Then we get to office number four was offering health insurance or five was offering health insurance. That's when we added health insurance as a standard offering. So you have to factor that in. I mean, we spend a lot of money on health insurance for employees, but we also want employees who care about health insurance. We want employees that's important for you've got to understand as we go into every office, what are your incremental additional costs not just for that office for the entire organization because you are taking on that cost structure and then you know again you're adding health insurance you're adding a 401k not to mention the equipment and things like this um all doable all sustainable you have to understand you know what you're getting into and make sure you've got the capital one of the ways we structure our deal is we buy the ar we don't buy the ap so if we're going to close on an office june 1st any dollars that come in from a receivables after June 1st, we get. That's accurate into the purchase price. Yeah. What that, But any bills for things that were delivered prior to June 1st, the seller has to pay for that. So what that does is gives me a financial good guy the first month. I pick up some extra revenue dollars to help bridge that gap. So our profitability the first month of any office, it's always really good. Not till the second month when you're paying the bills and getting your own receivables that you see it start to normalize.
0: Yeah, 100%. Okay, are we good? Anything else that you want to ask Mom or Kara? Sorry, i got to start calling you Kara. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin actually put that in before me to start calling her Kara, which I'm trying to get better at. So, uh, so Kara, you got any other questions that you'd like to ask Kevin, or are we good?
2: No, I think we're good. I'm um, talking about the next uh, podcast is um, just preparing for closing day and how we, um, once the other is signed, and all attorneys are doing stuff in their background, but how we... Um, do the process with changing everything over, and actually, the biggest thing is just getting into the office and start talking to the employees and getting them comfortable with us, so we can have a smooth transition. Yeah. That's going to be talking about that next.
1: Yeah, and that's one of those processes that really bridges both kind of the deal, the deal due diligence, yeah. as well as the transition. Yep. The more you can talk to the staff, the more successful that you're right. going to be. Yep. You need to take the fear out of it for them, and you learn a lot. Yep. And remember, your goal when you walk in on day one is not to mess it up.
2: Yeah, the goal yep. on day one is to do one thing different. Yep. Is to put a money in a different bank account. And that that's it. it. That's it. That is the goal.
1: That's it. That doesn't
2: always happen that way, but that is what the goal is. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to talk about next time. But Kevin, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you joining us today. <laughs> it's been fabulous. And thanks for everything that you do. And, um, and we are able to help other people out. So if anybody has any questions or anything like that, yep. I'll let Jay. Yeah,
0: so uh, if you guys want to get in contact with Kevin, um, you can. I'll ask him if I can put his email in the description, you can. Um, and we'll go from there. Um, Kevin and Kara are starting their own socialized service business together, um, where they have that team that they talk about that's going to be working for them. So that's going to be great. I'm going to be sourcing their work out to a couple of different doctors, hopefully here in the near future, and hopefully a couple of different groups as well. Um, so hopefully we can get some business for these guys and hope we'll help them work out. And then also my email will always be in the description as well as my website, jtdevelopmentllc.com. Um, and I think if we're good, mom can say goodbye to the people. Bye. Thanks guys.